Arnab's thoughts on the current state of the Congress party and some cyber security related thoughts coming right up. Hi, you're listening to episode 92 of Attention Plus with Arnab Ray. I'm Vikram Mohan and we are recording on 19th July 2020. As you know, WhatsApp Geeks are tech podcast and binge on both are on a short break. but you can head over to forspire.net and subscribe so that you get the new season as soon as it is out and now your host arnab hey arnab hello arnab. hello everyone yes we've had a global pandemic unprecedented uh, economic slowdown loved actors dying locusts i don't know this morning i read about flying ants over london and last week you also told us that himesh has 300 songs out there was murder hornets actually came out in the us and then they mysteriously vanished so i don't know what happened to them i thought <laughs> they were going to become a big problem yes himesh has really said that he has made 300 songs and abanduti roy has released her latest book so it's it's really the the biblical plagues one after another actually oh man so uh, basically can you think of any good news that has come out this year uh i don't think i i can't think of anything which has come out this year which is good especially in in the face of everything that has happened which is terrible this possibly is the worst worst year that most of us have lived through in our lives uh, i think that's objectively true in terms of the number of lives lost i don't think we've ever seen uh, so many people dying uh, in front of us all over the world uh, from something that doesn't seem to be coming under control and doesn't is it's not under control at least in the us and it doesn't seem to be coming under control in the us within any any time within the near future uh so things are just getting worse we had the i think we had the most number of deaths or the most number of hospitalizations in los angeles ever since this whole pandemic began this late so um and at least i would say that in los angeles and in california the administration is is a little bit more receptive at least they they are trying their best of course there are all political compulsions when this whole black lives matter happened there seemed to be right. no problem with coronavirus it totally went away it was as if coronavirus itself was afraid of like oh no we don't want to we don't want to step in, in in between your social revolution but that didn't happen you know coronavirus couldn't really care so we are seeing a surge in the number of coronavirus cases in los angeles particularly and all over california especially in the 18 to 40 age group which closely matches with the overall demographic of those who came out to protest so um this is not this is not an accident i think there is definite correlation and it also shows that people who are above 40 are taking precautions which is why the number of people who are in that age group have correspondingly declined while there's been a massive increase in the number of people who are in the age group of 80 to 40 now this doesn't mean that people like us who are above 40 are off the hook the way uh, coronavirus works is that when the number of people who are young get infected and it reaches a certain figure they're going to infect other people who are older and that will be a trailing edge so that will trail uh, the surge in young cases so that's really the reason why um it, this uh, you know essentially comes in waves and we are now at the crest of one of the waves waves uh 
And of course, the situation needn't have been this bad in Florida and Texas, uh, but it is because of because of the Republican governor. Okay, anyways, right. I wasn't planning to talk about uh, coronavirus today. So, so th- today, what I wanted to talk about were two things that happened uh, this week. Uh, one was, of course, uh, Rajasthan and uh, Sachin Pilot uh, leaving uh, Congress, uh, which kind of marks, of course, just before that, Sanjay Jha left the Congress, but. You know, Sanjay Jha leaving uh, the Congress is, uh, you know, as as kind of as significant as when Kolkata Knight Riders decided to drop Hokkaido from <laughs> its its lineup. Yeah, sure, it's a, it's, it's a statistic, um, and it's a sad thing, uh, but it doesn't really affect Congress in in, in the same way. On the other hand, uh, Sachin uh, Sachin uh, Sachin letting Sachin Pilot go is also like KKR letting Chris Gale go. And uh, this is, this is of course, something which is but uh, much more significant. Ha- has yes. he left the Congress party? I mean, officially? I, I Does I anyone know? He Does he know? <laughs> I think he has. I think he, I mean, whether he's been suspended or, you know, he's definitely, he's definitely been removed from his position as a def- deputy chief minister, as far as I know. And uh, I, I, Again, now that you mention it, I, I don't recall him having left left the Congress. He's definitely not joined the BJP. I think he's mentioned that he doesn't want to join the BJP, which is which is interesting, um, uh, w- w- which tells me something also that I believe that Sachin Pilot hopes a whole, you know, he has hopes that there will be a coup at the top and the Gandhi family will be removed, uh, which is why he's not totally burning his bridges. It will be a little difficult for him to come back to Congress, um, if he goes to the BJP, there is really no coming back at that point of time, which is again, uh, Chota Sindhya. Uh, and Chota Sindhya, of course, has less influence, I think, in politics than Sachin Pilot has. So I think he did what was uh, what worked for him. I don't think he's a frontline leader in, in any shape or form, but Sachin Pilot is. But Taking a step back, both with respect to Sanjay Jha, and Sanjay Jha was, you know, ultimately I, I kid, but Sanjay Jha was, you know, he's he he was he was a Congress spokesperson. It is very very difficult being, uh, you know, being a Congress spokesperson, right? You know, every every day you have to go to, on these channels and essentially get, uh, you know, essentially get pilloried for you know different acts of omission and commission, and then you're always on the losing team, right? It's it, it's like you know. It's like being, you know, a player in, uh, you know, you know, Bangalore Challengers. You know, it's it's like that. You're always on the losing team, and it's not a nice feeling to know that you'll always lose, and that you'll be always be standing in the award ceremony in, in on in the losers podium. And so he's kind of soldiered on for many years. Has kind of been the primary face of Congress, and he's you know moderately erudite. He was a professional. He was working for you know he was he was a media person. I think he, he was working on cricket and sports before he came into uh, full time politics. So he was kind of a professional who was not a career politician. He was quite erudite, and he stuck to his stance. And he was pretty good on television. Of course, that doesn't mean anything in terms of whether he's a good politician or not, but at least in, with respect to his role, I think he he was uh, pretty okay in, in, in his role as, as a Congress spokesperson. As I've said repeatedly, BJP has the most terrible spokesperson among all the national parties. I think bet, this Congress is the better, better uh, spokespersons. You know, Sambit Patra is, of course, you know, good for <laughs> comedy, but I don't think, and that, that 
PVL, whatever Rao looks like, as I've said, Rao looks like he just got out of bed. You know, what, what, where am I? And his, his hair is all... Yeah, I mean, they have Jay Panda, but, you know, they don't leverage him at all. Yes, yeah, so they, they, they can, of course. I mean, they can unleash Sriti Irani. I mean, Sriti Irani, as I've said many times, I mean, she's... Oh, yes. She, she's, she's an absolute waste as a minister. Uh, where, because that's not really what she's good for. But if there's one thing that Sriti Rani knows more than anybody else in this country is the television, the medium of television. And, you know, she, she, she's a, you know, she's a superstar of television. And what does the BJP do? They don't use her for television, uh, which is, and they, and they use Sambit Patra instead, which makes me wonder who takes these decisions. Anyways, again, the, the focus again, just like it's not on coronavirus, it's not on BGP either. It's 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 on Congress. So I think what we are kind of finally seeing is, uh, uh, you know, this has always been in the DNA of the Congress. The Congress was ultimately, if you remember, was started by a set of people who were utterly divorced from uh, the common man. They were a group of British educated uh, Desi Sahibs who wanted to uh, wanted to do something which made them feel a little bit more like the, uh, like, you know, that, that those were the people who actually started the Congress, uh, that they were essentially very rich lawyers and, you know, people who were essentially British, but they were Indians. And what they really wanted was they wanted not so much independence, but they wanted to be treated as equals of the British. They said, you know what, you know, we rock a suit just like you do. We have the same British accent. We went to Oxford and Cambridge. Why should we not be considered British just because we are brown people? So that's really where, that's really how Congress started. It was more more an attempt for a few extremely privileged Indians to get what they believed was due to them. And of course, later on, the the whole, of course, there was a part of self-fruit, but it was always like, we will play the rules, we will play by the rules of the British, because obviously they know better. And of course, all of this was upended when Gandhiji joined the Congress and he took politics to the actual masses. And that was his biggest contribution. He changed the way politics was done, not just in India, but all over the world. Um, and that's when Congress became the Congress that we know today. Of course, after after the death of Gandhi and after Nehru and, you know, the appropriation of the Gandhi surn- surname because of an accident uh, by the, the Gandhis, who have no relation, of course, with, with the original Gandhi, they have kind of come back to what the roots of the Congress has always been. Now, one of the things about the Congress is that, you know, when we talk a lot about privilege, it's always been essentially, you know, there's never been any inter-party democracy inside the Congress. It just, it's never been the case. It's always been run by, uh, first by Gandhi, uh, Mahatma Gandhi. Then it was run by Jawaharlal Nehru. Then it was run by his daughter. Then it was run by his daughter's son. Then it was run by daughter's son's uh, wife. That was run. We, we all know that we all know the sequence. So it, historically, the whole, and one of the things that, uh, that, you know, pop historians like Ramachandra Guha like to like to push on people who wouldn't know better is that you know Nehru wasn't a dynast. That all of this happened, you know, because he's kind of like a Nehru fanboy. As I once said when he became like one of the ruling members of the BCCI, that Nehra is one alphabet away from becoming the Indian national capital. <laughs> yes. uh, uh, there's something which he retweeted also actually. So uh, so because of his in extreme fanboyism, you know, he just doesn't say what the truth about Nehru was. In, uh, but but before we even get to Nehru, I mean, the first the first thing that that ever happened in Congress, which was which was kind of like a prophecy for things to come, was when 
uh, when Gandhi set up his his candidate to go uh, against uh, Netaji Subhash Chandra Bose, and Gandhi's candidate lost, and instead of accepting the result, Gandhi basically made it impossible for Netaji Subhash Chandra Bose to operate within the Congress. So Gandhi then used his extra constitutional authority. And if this reminds you of Sonia Gandhi, it should, because that's exactly the way the Congress Party's—that's really the Congress Party's real way of working. So if they don't get uh, what they want um, through democracy, they get it—they get it through the other way, through influence. So Gandhi, who obviously had an enormous amount of influence in the party, he was like, you know, he was like Virat Kohli of politics. And he basically could do anything, even like get somebody like Ravi Shastri to be the Coach. I mean, that's the amount of influence that Gandhiji had. Just like Virat Kohli gets, you know, some somebody a washed out guy like Ravi Shastri really has nothing to contribute to the team except like looking absolutely sleepy. And, uh, you know, but but he's there because uh, Virat Kohli feels comfortable that since Ravi Shastri kind of owes his job to Virat Kohli, that he will not he will not crack the whip. He will pretty much, as he's been seen in different pictures, massaging his shoulders. So. That's effectively been the way the, and that's why you know Virat Kohli didn't want somebody like Anil Kumble who was like light years ahead in terms of competence and in terms of which you know in terms of everything and you know a coaching team which would comprise of Zahir Khan and you know that's such a such an amazing coaching he would still not accept them because he would want people like Sanjay Bangar and people who who basically dependent on Kohli uh, for their for their job so so the Congress has kind of followed that principle so with and it used to work when they had virat kohli's in in their in their party i mean mahatma gandhi could you know show the middle essentially show the middle finger to interparty democracy he could do it because of course what could netaji subhash chandra bose do in terms of influence in front of mahatma gandhi now the problem is that that the congress has kept this mode of operation and in their own minds which is the minds of the of the, of the, of the four four gandhi members they still think that rahul gandhi is mahatma gandhi I mean, Sonia Gandhi, Mahatma Gandhi. They think in their in their sense of utter delusion that this is true, that they can do exactly what Mahatma Gandhi did in 2020. And of course, that's not true. I think everybody other than those four people kind of realize that 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 they're not Mahatma Gandhi. So it started with Mahatma Gandhi. It started with Mahatma Gandhi basically expelling. Um, I mean, Netaji Subhash Chandra Bose had no other uh, no other option but to leave the Congress for the crime of having uh, tried to. Uh, tried to make a play for authority of the party in in the face of uh, mahatma gandhi's opposition to him and it then basically passed off to a series of stooges which is how the gandhis and the nehrus want uh, to rule the party then it happened so this whole thing about uh, this whole thing about dynasty politics and things being fixed inside the congress being a very later phenomenon as articulated by ramchandra guha is obviously false um then of course nehru when i've read books on indira gandhi so i'm not speaking this from a you know a random body orifice but uh, the the thing was that indira gandhi became nehru's interface to the whole world everybody knew that in order to get a darbar with nehru by the way this whole culture of darbari culture was a gift of nehru people would from different states i mean politicians from different states would come and set up camp outside nehru's house wait for weeks and nehru would like to do that because you know he liked to make people feel small because he was like an emperor and then they would get to get they would get their 5 minutes with nehru 
And the person who was responsible for mediating this access to Nehru, which is why many of them started going to Indira Gandhi, was Indira Gandhi. Indira Gandhi was the gatekeeper to uh, uh, to Jawaharlal Nehru's time. So that's how. And this is one of the reasons, actually, why you know that the, you know her her essentially the, the troubles with the marriage uh, with Feroz Gandhi began because she started essentially becoming more and more a political figure uh, than. You know, I, I, she did not hold any position, but she was effectively the prime minister at that point of time. And you know, of course, other people. I mean, the, the whole thing of Indira Gandhi being called, you know, Gungi Guria and everything, you know, because she was silent, and people mistook that. And of course, there were there was a healthy slice of misogyny in those days. Also, there is no doubt that people thought that she's a woman. Of course, she's a pushover, and just because she doesn't say anything doesn't mean that she's not powerful. And that was a mistake, which a series of the the, the the famed syndicate, which was really really the most powerful Congress people, all men, of course, they decided that they will, uh, you know, basically usurp her position after after Nehru, and um, that didn't turn out very well for either of these syndicate members, um, because of course, in terms of in terms of the politician, I don't think there was anybody better than Indira Gandhi, um, in terms of being. You know, very you know, very very smart in dealing with opponents, and you know, she didn't speak doesn't mean didn't necessarily mean that uh, she didn't have anything to say. She was just very smart not to show her hand in front of people. So again, Congress was blessed with you know good leaders, and of course now we can criticize Indira Gandhi for the license raj and everything. But in those days, that was you know that was the accepted thing. India was a socialist country, and in the, in the U.S. really hated us. And this was what, you know, we had to do in order to survive. So I, I wouldn't judge her so much for socialism than I would judge, for instance, even the the protectionist aspects of the current BJP government. But the fact was she was a smart person, but there was no inter-party democracy at all. And this was kind of crystallized and encapsulated in, in emergency, which again, I'm not going to get into. But again, like to say that this has been the way the Congress has always worked. It has always worked with the presumption that uh, everybody there exists to serve the Gandhi and Nehru family. That the, and, and this, which brings us to the crux of the problem with Sachin Pilot. The crux of the problem with Sachin Pilot is that most people, including Sachin Pilot and including Sanjay Jha, none of whom are idiots, of course, they join the party knowing very well that they will have to be psychophants to these, the, the, these, these totally undeserving People, but they are willing to make that pact with the devil. Of course, now of course Sanjay Jha pretends that he didn't know this, and that's obvious. But you know, this, they, they they make a pact with the devil, and they do it because they believe that by doing so they can advance, they can go up the pole, um, which is obviously fine. I mean, in any any political party, people don't join political parties uh, to do good for the country. They join it because it's a way of ascending. It's a way of you know getting up the pole of power, and of course the money that comes along with that. But the Congress has been totally cavalier about the political aspirations of anybody else other than the Gandhis. It's like a dysfunctional HR, which does not care for anybody's career growth, except these four people at the top. And that's really the crux of the problem with the Congress. I mean, they do have decent people. They have people, I mean, they're obviously... And, and and this is important. I mean, if you really care about democracy, I give a, you know, a flying F about the Congress party itself, but I am invested in Indian democracy. And it's very important for Indian democracy to have national parties. 
and right now bjp has a monopoly and not only that but the congress foursome that that congress thing of you know sonia rahul priyanka and robert these four are the bjp's four biggest trump cards and that's why these people form the headlines of every arnab goswami show no matter how the bjp government performs they always can bring these four cards out cards which they don't own and that's the and that's the irony of it if these are the trump cards of their principal opponent party which they love to bring out and most people since most people in india kind of hate them for they know that just by playing on these four people they can make people forget their own failures this is i think an unheard of situation in the world democracy where their opponents uh, leaders are the biggest assets of the ruling party now this is this is something which obviously everybody has has realized and as an example of how incompetent um rahul gandhi is i mean it's not a question of he's a puppet or a clown he's just he's just monumentally incompetent here is the biggest opportunity that any uh, political party could have hoped for uh, with uh, with the migrant crisis and covid and what does rahul gandhi do rahul gandhi sits in a video and starts making videos he wants to be a youtube star now he wants to interview uh, he wants to interview people at this point of time what the f what is going on with i mean is this how he wants to run the congress party by doing youtube videos sonu sood who was in basically a no one came out from nowhere and he can start his political party and win elections at this point of time the amount of things that he did as an individual and sonu sood by no means is an a lister or even a b lister so he came out of nowhere the congress should have been doing what sonu sood was doing they should have been doing it at a scale to show the alter, that that they are in the play and this would have been really really damaging for the bjp they should have stepped in they should have taken people from one point to another they should have arranged trains but they didn't they they made a show of doing it but they didn't sonu sood was much more effective as an individual of really no big standing before all of this began to really really make a difference and 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 I'm not saying this in any way shape or form if anything's you know in a way deprecatory to Sonu Sood I mean he he really came out to be a hero and I don't know what Sonu Sood is trying to get out of it I mean the the, the cynic in me tells me that there must be something but I honestly don't care I mean the amount what he did is remarkable but the, the question is in Sonu Sood the opportunity was there and the congress chose to do nothing about it and not only did they choose to do nothing about it but their masthead their brand their brand icon decided to do uh, this really sleepy uh, you know really sleepy low energy youtube videos where it was not clear whether he had even woken up and for what who was he trying to appeal to what was the reason for doing that and how can you run a socialist a uh, people oriented platform by being elitist enough to do youtube videos at a time of national crisis i mean this just goes to show how clueless he is and he's doing this while bjp is splitting his party in madhya pradesh while they're splitting their party in rajasthan and that's exactly what they're supposed to do this is not this is not villainous on bjp's part bjp is supposed to do it 
I mean, any competitor is supposed to nail the other guy in any you know market capitalist system. And politics is is just an extension of that system. So there's no fault. BJP are not at fault for doing what they're doing. It's Congress, which is which is showing its its incompetence, I would say. And you know, at some point of time, Sachin Pilot obviously had an enough. That he really he realizes that not only does he not have a future in the Congress, that the Congress doesn't care for his future. What was instructive was you know the Congress he chumchas on television. Um, you know, Surjewala, you know, whenever I, you know, that guy, you know, Surjewala is the kind of person that, you know, uh, Rahul Gandhi and his ilk like to surround themselves with. People of absolutely no character, backbone, no political base, who are absolutely, uh, totally dependent on the Gandhi family. You know, I think it was Surjewala, some, one of their chamchas said that, why is Sachin Pilot so, you know, so angry? You know, he was made an MP at 25. He was made a something at, you know, minister at 30 something. And their whole, the, the, the way they phrased the, framed the sentence gave the Congress culture away. He was made. So he didn't become, he didn't do anything to become it. He didn't get that authority. He was granted that authority by Rahul Gandhi. And he was granted that authority because he's a, as big a dynast as Rahul Gandhi is. I mean, they, let's not let's not lionize Sachin Pilot in any shape or form. He is he's just a better version. I wouldn't say he's a better version of Rahul Gandhi. He's just a person who's in control of his faculties. That at least he he realizes what where his self interests are. At least he has the nominal intelligence of knowing that okay, I shouldn't be doing this at this point of time. The kind of thing that Rahul Gandhi woefully does not possess. Even even the kind of self-preservation that a five-year-old shows, Rahul Gandhi can't even do that. I mean, so 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 this this says something about the Gandhi family. Sachin Pilot is just normal, and and in con- contrast to the Gandhis, of course, he looks like a genius, but he isn't either. You know, he is he is as much a made man as any of the Gandhis. I mean, he's he didn't deserve any of the things that he has, except that he was given to them because. At that point of time, he found it convenient to hitch his hook into the waistcoats of the Gandhis. And now he realizes that, okay, I've done this for a while. Um, What next? And I don't think these guys, and of course, it makes perfect sense for him. He has ambition and he understands at least which which way the bread is buttered. So he's he's, he's made this move in Congress. This is not the first time. There's been Jagan Reddy. there's been Sindhya, again, not a big deal, not as big as Jagan Reddy. Even, even somebody like Mamata Banerjee, if, if, you, if you guys remember, she used to be with the Congress at one point of time. And the reason why she left the Congress was because uh, they did not recognize. So the reason why Mamata Banerjee left the Congress was that the Congress at that t- point of time was essentially, you know, surreptitiously in bed with the Communist Party of India Marxist. They did not want to piss off Jyoti Basu. And if there's anything that I can say good about Mamata Banerjee is that she's very open with respect to who she likes and who she doesn't like. The, the only reason why I ever voted, the only time I ever voted, my vote went to Mamata Banerjee was that Mamata Banerjee was the only person in Bengal who seriously, consistently and passionately fought CPM. She never, ever made any kind of underhand dealings with them. She was, he's not the kind of person who makes those kinds of deals. 
um in that way she is to be respected however the rest of the congress both in terms of the central leadership as well as the local leadership were all colluding with cpm the congress was colluding because they needed to stop bjp at that point of time and the local the local congress cadres were co- local congress leaders were collaborating with the cpm because the cpm would then cut them off slice of the corruption pie so they said okay you take all your haftas from this shialda station area we will not go and interfere there but if you try coming out of that area we will chop you up we will chop you down so they basically divided up uh, regions between them so there were like congress pockets where they went and extorted and there were other pockets where the cpm went and extorted so the thing with mamata banerjee was she was again she was not part of this kind of arrangement right uh, and she sincerely and persistently fought the cpm and at some point of time she realized and the person who used to come from uh, who was sent to kind of cool her down when she got virulently anti cpm used to be pranab mukherjee pranab mukherjee used to be sent to kind of cool mamata banerjee down when she just used to go hammer and tongs at jyoti basu consistently day in day out day in day out um and you know that's ultimately she then decided to quit and then ally herself with the nda at that point of time because you know ultimately she wanted to fight the cpm let me ask and you this the, then yeah uh, is there is there anything that the congress uh, you know i'm not talking about the gandhis but the congress party can offer let's say mamata jagan or even sharad pawar i mean we we, we forgot ma- mentioning him yes to get sharad them pawar. back into the fold no they can't right the only thing they can do is unless until unless and i don't think that's happening until unless they get rid of that of that of 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 everybody who has vadra or nehru or gandhi in their in in, in their gene pool i mean nobody will want to come back to the congress i mean they have to be gotten rid of and until unless that happens we are not going to have a functional opposition party and rahul gandhi just keeps sliding down i mean every time you think this guy has hit rock bottom he surprises you and he surprises the bjp pleasantly by the way by sliding even lower so with with with, with such an again imagine imagine this party this party which is supposedly liberal party is so thin skinned is so thin skin that even a mildly critical article written by sanjay jha who's not even somebody who's at least like sachin pilot that at least sachin pilot has 30 M- M- mlas under him i mean okay that's not a big deal but at least something sanjay jha has only you know one set of black sunglasses <laughs> even one set even that guy this rahul gandhi is so thin skin that even that one guy sounding still writing an extremely obsequious like sir ji aap mahan hai kind of but you know we have some problems even that they cannot tolerate in contrast look at the way the bjp has treated the shatugan sinhas of the world shatugan sinhas been trying desperately to have some kind of stand off and get kicked out you know arun shori and all these people i mean they try their desperate best look at what they do and look at what and and the bjp actually does the smart thing i'm not saying the bjp is more democratic or more intolerant of divergent opinions no that's absolute bullshit you know every every indian political party is autocratic at its core but the fact is they're at least smart enough to say you know what these guys are actually want me to take them out we will just ignore them 
because they're so insignificant and they're right. They are insignificant. However, if let's say Yogi Adityanath someday decides to go up against Modi, then that they're not going to ignore Yogi Adityanath because yeah, he does have a support base. So the BJP at least uses their brains to decide, you know, they pick their battles, who to ignore, who to go against, and, you know, who to pull from the other party. They actually have that brain. And that's why they are where they are right now. It's not because India has turned fascist and, you know, we are, we are all evil as, uh, you know, as the wire and the scroll would like you to believe. It's because one political party is just, just better managed. And, you know, they have their screw ups. Of course they do. You know, sending, you know, whenever your party candidate is Bapi Lahiri in any election, there has been some kind of screw up. But the fact is they don't consistently screw up in the way that Congress does. And Congress screws up despite having really smart people. Like, for instance, for, for me, the main thing is why wouldn't you make somebody like Shashi Tharoor? You've had him in the party. Why don't you make him your prime ministerial candidate and make him go up against Modi? He's the, he's the best person in the party. Whatever he used to go up against Modi. And he hits the exact places where Modi can't go. You know, he he's really the opposite of Modi in every shape or form. So put him up. It's a bold move and it is the only move. But no, they will keep Rahul Gandhi or Sonia Gandhi at the top. And sometimes there'll be nobody. The face of the party will become Surjawan. So how, I mean, this is, this is not even a fair fight at this point of time. And Sachin Pilot, again, I'm not, a, he's, 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 he has common sense. And, and, and he, he realizes that you know, he has been given a lot of authority that he didn't deserve. So, again, that's a valid point with Congress that Sachin Pilot has been as much a beneficiary of the Congressy culture as anybody else. But he's reached a saturation point. He's obviously a very ambitious person. And, and when you are made an MP or something at 25, obviously your timeline is accelerated. You want to get to your place fast. And the Congress finds that it just doesn't have any room at the top. All the all the senior vice president positions have all been taken by Gandhi and Nehru family people. And he wants to be an SVP. So they're saying, we made you a senior director. You know, you didn't do anything. We made it. You know, so stick to it. That's the, that's the whole thing with the Congress. That's how, as high as you're going to go. Get with the plan. And, you know, if they feel miffed, then they, they could be. The Congress could feel miffed. I mean, Rahul Gandhi could say, I gave this guy everything. And, you know, he should have been smart enough to know that this is the furthest he's going to go up. And he's not going to go up anymore because I'm saving that for Robert Vadra's kids. So it's, it's, it's just sad. It's just sad to see the Congress imploding like this because this is not good for democracy. And, and, and. I'm perfectly fine with the Congress ceasing to exist as a political party, but there definitely needs to be a national political party because the the problem with regional parties is that no regional party can form a government at the center without other regional parties. And we have seen consistently that in India, the regional parties, once they try to form the government at the center, they fight. Because ultimately in India, regional parties are made up of regional satraps who cannot think beyond their own state. So they do not have a national vision because that's not the way they work. They are state level parties who have strong state course so they can carry a state with them, but they have a zero influence in other states. A Telugu DSM can't do anything in Kolkata. 
I was shocked to learn that Shiv Sena actually has <laughs> a working branch in Kolkata. I, I, my mind boggled <laughs> uh, on hearing that. Like, what? Um, so, and Trinamool Congress tried to set put up candidates in Delhi. They actually put up, I think they put up Prashenjit's father, Vishwajit, uh, in, in Delhi. So these political parties, you know, they don't have any serious forays outside the state. So mean, that means none of these uh, state parties have any hope in our lifetime of developing into national political parties, which is why Congress is so important. Otherwise, you know, who cares? Let the Congress become a regional party, which is just the, 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 their region is essentially the dinner table of the Gandhi family. That's fine. But the fact is, there will be a huge, huge lacune, and this will only help. And if you are, and if you are a BJP supporter, of course, this is good news for you. But if you are a centrist, and if you really want to have a working democracy, which really relies on having a, you know, a government as well as a strong opposition, this should not make you happy. So the second story for today was uh, the break in into Twitter. For those of you who haven't been following the story, what happened was that a few days ago, um, somebody got access to somebody or some people, uh, we don't know who that was or how many people there were, got access to the accounts of Obama. uh, Who who else? (laughs) Hold on. I think it was uh, Elon Musk. Elon Musk, okay, so Biden, Obama, Bezos, uh, Gates, yes. Elon Musk, uh, Apple, Uber. Oh, I didn't know about uh, Apple. Yes, so they effectively took over the accounts of the most, the most influential, both in terms of politics and in terms of politics and in terms of money. Uh, so at that point of time, they could have taken over anybody's accounts, essentially. But they chose to take, obviously, they chose to take over the highest value accounts. The only account they could could not take over was Trump's, because I think they, that has a different level of security on it. Because there have been attempts before to take over Trump's account. Now, this is, I would consider this to be the biggest, one of the biggest incidents in internet history. Uh, of course, the, the attackers did something very stupid. And, and some people are now saying that it was not stupid. They were, they were actually tr- testing the waters for something bigger. This was like a test. So they basically did a Bitcoin scam where each of these accounts said, you know, we are giving to people, uh, you know, if you, if you give us basically whatever amount you give to us in Bitcoin, we will double it and send it back to you. And it made, as I read, $120,000 essentially was the amount of money, which is, which is a trifle consider, considering how much money must have gone into getting this thing done. So I think the guys who did it lost money big time on this. But if some people are to be believed, this isn't what, uh, this isn't the main thing. We haven't seen the main thing yet. So anyways, uh, that I have no data on. So let's just presume that this was a one-off. So this was to me, and, and there of course have been bigger, inter, bigger incidents in terms of millions of data records breached. But if you look at how those things happened and in terms of the, this is sheer widespread nature of it in a way kind of made it less critical than this. Because given the importance of Twitter in a Trump world, I mean, if anybody can tweet from Obama's account or from Elon Musk's account or from, let's say, Biden's account, then they can effectively, um, I wouldn't say they can start a war. I mean, 
I don't think so, but they can bring countries close to war and they can definitely get a run on the stock market. For instance, a one tweet from Elon Musk would or one tweet from Bill Gates would cause uh, you know a, a tremor in in the stock market and if people short stocks or you know essentially take bets on stocks they could make millions on on that within seconds so obviously this was something this not in terms of what actually happened but in terms of what could have happened that is what makes this i would say arguably the biggest hack ever in in internet history even though only $120,000, which is, which is right. And that's not really what the news is. Now let's look at, you know, and I'll again, uh, maybe, maybe I'll expand on this some other day. Um, but normally when, when websites get compromised, they, there's actually three ways through which it gets compromised. Normally one is through external facing vulnerabilities. So these are, vulnerabilities in the products themselves. As an example, for instance, um, there was a zero-day exploit, which is a zero-day exploit is something that is a vulnerability that is present in software on the day it is released. So that's the zero-day part of it. So WhatsApp apparently and, and, you know, hackers and nation states uh, reportedly have a library of these zero-day exploits and they're worth many, many millions. So they, people even, of course, the manufacturers or the software vendors don't know that they have this exploit. People find it out and they don't reveal it. They just keep it, hold it for, uh, you know, a rainy day or when they can monetize it. So somebody used a WhatsApp zero-day exploit, essentially. And the, the whole thing was that it came from the, the Saudi king, apparently, which basically led to the compromise of his phone and, and the leakage of his, let's say, prime uh, pictures. Um and this was, again, an example of a vulnerability in, in software, in, on, on the public-facing software. This is exactly the way you fi- you'll find that Pakistani hackers or Indian hackers go and deface websites. So they basically take advantage of old versions of web servers or improperly configured um, configurations. To, and this, is, this doesn't require a lot of like, brains there are. Uh, pre pre-packaged exploits which just scan through a website and just look at okay what version of Apache they're running and okay they're running an old unpatched version let's let it loose uh, we have exploits so it doesn't even require a lot of thinking but you know something like zero day exploits these are you know really intellectual achievements I would say for people who find it I have nothing but the highest respect for them even though they're essentially criminals but I still have the highest respect for them because you know this this is is possibly one of the most difficult things, especially when you are trying to break into something like WhatsApp, or you know, which has also been made by extremely smart people. This is not like you know breaking into somebody's uh, you know fall semester course project. So that's one way of doing things. The second one is basically compromising the user, which is as we, most of you know something known as phishing or spear phishing. The only difference between phishing and spear phishing is that spear phishing is a targeted fish. That, they, that the person who's sending this thing to you knows who you are. So the way phishing works is that you get an email which says, you know, I'm your bank. Uh, there has been a compromise uh, on, on the bank. So we are immediately asking you to go to the website and change your password. And you click the link and then it asks you for your old password and your new password. What you don't notice is you haven't really gone to your bank's page, but some other website which looks exactly like your bank. And when you put in your old password, 
that's when they have your passwords right there um so phishing is that they will send out mails and i get these mails every day saying my america you know my bank of america account has been compromised and the thing is i don't have an account in bank of america so i obviously know that's phishing um spear phishing is that they, they they will know that you have an account in bank of america they will possibly they might have been following you and they saw that you went to the bank let's say and then they send you a mail saying you know you went to the bank today um unfortunately there was a problem with it so you immediately know that that part of it is true uh could you please go to the bank and and do this that's when they will again take you to their website and 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 will get your password so that's the difference between normal phishing and spear phishing so spear phishing is a very very targeted and is much more dangerous because they they have some information about you um so that's the second way of doing things the third th- thing which is perhaps the most i mean at least the first one you can say okay if the software is developed well and you know penetration tested properly you can prevent that the second you can say well if you are moderately intelligent and if you're paranoid about entering your password that you never and again the thing is never click on a link ever sent on an email ever even though you're absolutely 100% sure that's your bank never click a link in an email if you have an account in your bank go to the bank type it into your url and go there type it into your your your, your browser url bar and go there never ever 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 click a link whatsoever even in your office if you're working on something and you know that you're supposed to receive an email from someone and you get that email do not click that link because that is you know especially if you're high up in the company that is spear phishing at that point of time that person who is trying to get that from you knows your immediate context knows what you have been doing might be keeping you under surveillance and so is going to make it very very easy for you to go and trust that email so don't ever do it so again the point is if you if you obey some laws of cyber hygiene you might be able to not like okay the one with with whatsapp zero day expert there was nothing that jeff bezos could have done um with the spear phishing ultimately it's your responsibility but the third thing which you can do nothing over nothing about is if twitter itself has you know bizarre bizarre ways of guarding your data and they do, and not because they have any quote unquote vulnerabilities in their software but because of essential vulnerabilities in their process something like this happens and this seems to be that third thing which is what makes it uh, so interesting as well as scary it's not as if twitter which is obviously one of the leading uh, you know leading internet companies in the world today it's not that they were running an insecure version of apache or running some kind of some kind of noob mistake they didn't do it you know they're not government websites that they would do something like that what they're claiming and so what 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 i feel is that things don't add up so the twitter's version of the story is that some of their accounts in so this is what twitter's this is the, all the thing that twitter has said twitter said yes this thing happened what we have is we have an internal tool inside twitter by which you can go and set any you change anybody's email address so this is exists so that in in case somebody loses their email address they can contact us and change their email address so let's say you're locked out of your email address or your email address itself has been hacked so if they send any kind of credentials to the email address then, then the guy will get access to you to that so you will come and say look can you change my email address 
sorry may earphones pero so uh so so we so so according to twitter somebody internal used this tool to change the email addresses of all these super celebrity accounts and by changing the email address they could send a reset thing and then take control over their accounts now this this is bizarre to say the least this is bizarre on multiple on multiple fronts why this doesn't add up so first thing is that they said that these accounts that these internal accounts of of twitter admins were all compromised there were multiple accounts which were compromised by a very sophisticated sphere phishing campaign first question is how sophisticated does it have to be to make a number of twitter admins who by the way are all cybersecurity professionals to make all of them click on this campaign i mean how sophisticated must it have been i mean one guy could make a stupid move but multiple people making a stupid move second thing was that they said that normally even if somebody gets your password if you have multi factor authentication which is this you know when you have a one time password or some kind of authentication code being sent to your phone in moment then even if i steal your password i still will not be able to get access right so how did how did the sphere phishing guys whoever who were these super geniuses how did they also get the mobile phones of those admins how did they get the other factor of authentication also and twitter said they did and my question is how how did they get the second factor of authentication from for each of these guys did they all en masse lose their phones in the bus i mean how did that happen the third thing is that this internal tool and this is something which twitter doesn't even handle is that this internal tool is normally in any kind of organization is is not something which is a web facing tool that anybody can go and type it into the browser and go to this tool this tool usually runs in a very very it's, it's only accessible uh, through a, on on a very restricted super secure subnet within twitter so not even all twitter employees can even get to it only a very few number of admins who even their machines will have to be authorized to be on that network in order for them to even pull that up how did these external attackers get onto twitter's internal network in order to do it did they also steal these guys' laptops did they steal three things from them is that what you're trying to make us believe at this point of time how did they get on there there's no way they could have got on to that internal tool either from outside unless they were inside twitter in which point of time this is even more serious and the final point is that in any so the technical term for this is called privileged access management so when you have admins who can do anything with the accounts kind of the god mode it's not that you just give somebody admin a password and then that person can do anything there's something called privilege access management which basically sees that the guy is doing stuff which makes sense if the guy is doing some crazy shit then you know a, a good pam system essentially shuts down access or asks that person to show their identity again and in some other form said look i'm not convinced it's you let me ask you a few more questions that's what they should do that's what any pam does so Just think about it. Here's this internal tool, which suddenly, within a very short period of time, multiple email addresses of verified accounts are being reset. What are the chances that all that so many people would have lost their emails at the same point of time? 
and I'd be requesting this. So there should have been immediately been some kind of tripwire that should have tripped at this point of time and said, wait, we're not going to let you do this until unless you have somebody else log in, your manager or somebody else and say, okay, this, this kind of situation, if you, if you go to, you know, for those of you who, go, who, who, who shop in grocery stores and supermarkets, you would see this thing happening in front of you, even in a grocery chain. Sometimes if you have to refund, if the person at the cash counter has to refund more than a certain amount of money or has to void a sale, then the person has to call their manager who comes in and sometimes physically inserts a key. So this cannot be done remotely. Physically inserts a key and then only they can void the transaction if the transaction is above a certain limit. So this is fairly standard practice that if something which is, which is a very rare occurrence has to happen, one person cannot just go ahead and authorize it. At least another person has to be involved in supervising and saying, yeah, there, there's a good reason why he's having to do this. Are you still trying to tell me that that doesn't exist within Twitter? Because if, if that's what they're trying to tell us, then that's even more critical. That's, that means that this, that, and, and, and this, which, which brings me to the really, pro, the real problematic thing. These were the creme de la creme of Twitter users. By the way, I think uh, Kanye West was also there and Kim Kardashian. Oh, wow. So these, okay. are, the, so, so these are the creme de la creme of, of Twitter users. And this is the amount of account security which they have. Now think of you and me. How much account security do you think we have? What prevents, and by the way, this is what the Twitter's version was. Now, a motherboard, which is the tech section of Vice, they had their own investigation and they said their version of the story allegedly is that, no, it's, this is not what happened. Somebody inside Twitter deliberately did this. That makes more sense. Because yes, that means that person was on the Twitter restricted network. That means that person obviously had their two factors of authentication so they could get on it. So that makes sense. It still doesn't make sense how one person could reset the emails of all these users. That still doesn't compute unless there was a second person involved. And that even Motherboard article hasn't said. So how did one rogue element compromise the holiest of the holies in terms of Twitter accounts. I mean, this guy got in and he could have read the DMs of these people. There could be secret, like potentially damaging, uh, you know, nationally significant things. I mean, technically, people are not supposed to, you know, have nationally significant things in Twitter DMs. But as in the age of Trump, one, one thing we've realized is that these things don't hold true anymore. People are conducting official business using Twitter. So oh, sir, I want to say access- the same thing. If, if by chance they had hacked into Trump, you said they could almost trigger a war. In Trump's case, they, they can. Yeah, they can trigger. If they get Trump, they can they can trigger a war. So again, if you remember, this is Joe, this is Joe Biden, who's who's this is a future president of the US, most likely future president of the US, and Obama, a future, a past president of the US. So we're still talking about presidential accounts. Just not Trump's, but presidential accounts nonetheless. And definitely a vice presidential account in case of Joe Biden. He's definitely been a vice president. So to understand what level these guys are and what kind of privileged information that they have, 
and it takes one person effectively one bad actor within twitter to compromise this and imagine if th- these guys hadn't tweeted that message if i mean if they had just been silent and just gone and just read the dms and just given it back and that's the that's the biggest thing that's why i think this is the biggest hack ever that's ever happened is not only does it attest to the absolute absolute cluelessness of twitter that the amount of responsibility that this organization has it it cannot stand up to it it spends most of its time essentially censoring speech of people that they don't like that's really what their focus has been rather than on in the age of 2020 you know acknowledging the significance that they have which obviously they don't deserve based on this but it also attests to the absolute like let's say i have somebody in twitter who doesn't like me I mean, that person who's an internal employee of Twitter, what protection do I have from that internal user? If that internal user decides to change the email, see, get, get access to my account and gives it back to me, sees all my DMs, you know, does whatever they want. I mean, what kind of, and obviously this does not trigger any kind of tripwire within Twitter. I mean, if it didn't trigger it for Obama and it didn't trigger it from Biden and it didn't trigger it for Kanye and it didn't trigger it for Apple and uh, Uber, of course it won't trigger it what for you and me so how are they treating our data how are they treating our accounts i think we've just seen how they're doing it this is this is i mean maybe i'm not understanding something but i have you know i've talked about this to some security professionals that i know and all of them agree with me that you know yeah these questions that you're raising are really valid questions that 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 there has not been a satisfactory answer for so the twitter version for me doesn't make any sense what they have said. So unless there is some other things that they're not telling us. And I think that Twitter in its own, and, and, and of course, in a very self-serving way, Twitter has said, we apologize for this. You know, this will never happen again. And we have been transparent. No boss, you haven't been transparent at all about this. Your entire explanation is riddled with holes through which any, in any security professional with even a little bit of background can you know, ram a bus through. Essentially, there are questions that you haven't answered. And especially given the alternative narrative that has emerged, which seems much more likely and much more dangerous on motherboard, there, there is the need for Twitter to come clean. And at least if what they're saying is true, then they should, for the sake of their users, provide more details as to what exactly happened. And what actions, what specific actions have been taken as a result of this. So again, this this again, I I'm I'm a person who's a digital native, and I well, obviously this is this is not a this is not this is not an excuse to not use Twitter or not use Facebook. But this also, as users, we should always be cognizant of the fact that we kind of tend to believe in Twitter and Facebook like God. Like we we we're less we're more skeptical about our governments than we are about Twitter and Facebook. We think that, you know, of course, of course, these guys know their stuff. They get paid like 500k a year. So obviously they know their stuff. But that's not true. They they obviously don't, <laughs> in this case, know their stuff. At least somebody doesn't know their stuff. Even with one bad actor, even with two bad actors, even with a few bad actors, it should not have been possible to change all of these accounts in a properly configured PAM system. Yes, it is true that most conventional PAMs, um, 
if there is more than one person involved, then PAMPs essentially fail at that point of time. That's usually true. But given, and that's true for a internet company. Because if this was Target, your purchase records, okay, two people, I'll buy that. But this is Twitter we're talking about. And this is the accounts of an ex-president and a 2B president and two of the richest people in the world. Obviously, this level of protection that's okay, that might be okay for Target or Walmart isn't okay for Twitter, given the importance that these people have in Twitter being essentially being the only platform, only medium that most public figures nowadays use to communicate. There is no other communication medium. Everything that's tweeted is taken to be the truth. Right? It's, it's so again, and the last concluding thing that I said when I first heard of this, Wakar Yunus was innocent. <laughs> Those buggers tested it out on Wakar Yunus. Rather than asking for Bitcoin, they went and liked a porn video. But they were the guys. Ah, now I'm convinced. Now it all makes sense. And I and 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 and, and now I, I feel very bad for him that you know that they first decided that these international gang of crooks targeted of all people, Walker Yunus Bechara, and, you know, did this terrible thing to him. If they had asked for Bitcoin from his account, it would have been okay. But they reserved the worst for him. And, uh, and they didn't do this with Obama. They could have done this with Obama, right? They could have liked a porn video from Obama's <laughs> right, account. That would have right. been, Trump would have liked it. But they did. So those, those rascals that did it from only from... Uh, this uh, Walker Yunus's account. I can't believe this. So I'll conclude by saying Walker Yunus is innocent. At least we know that Jadeja's nephew got hired in Twitter. No, no, Raina's nephew. Raina's Raina's <laughs> nephew uh, was hired by. So you know that's 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 the way I want to finish finish off with. Yeah. So that's our podcast for today. And uh, if you want more of Arnab, did you know that there's a link to Arnab's books on Amazon right there in the show notes? Yep on your podcast player. So it's that simple. So do check out his books and uh, leave a review on Amazon or Goodreads. You'll find the link right there in the show notes too. And that's, uh, that's it for this week. And uh, see you soon. Take care. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye-bye.